welcome to the Mindful Living Podcast. I'm your host, Athea Davis. Are you ready to become the person everyone loves, including yourself? Imagine being filled with purpose, joy, and focused energy every single day. I guide kids to gain their inner calm and adults to spark their inner child. Each week, I will give you fun, practical, and relatable, mindfully infused inspiration, insights, and information that you can directly apply in your life, family, and school or business. So let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to Mindful Living with me, your host, Athea Davis. You are listening to episode 108, Living with Less, with my special guest today, Christine Platt. Now you know I'm going to give you all the information about Christine. If you don't already know her, you're going to love her and definitely you're going to want to follow her on Instagram. So here we go. Living with less. I have not had the opportunity to have a guest on this show to talk about minimalism. And it is something that as I talk about with Christine in our conversation together, that I have been growing into over the last several years. I definitely, like if you were to probably, you know, do a Google search on minimalism, you're going to find these rooms that are very bare. That is not my house. (laughs) But what I have done is become so much more intentional about the things that I buy. Do I actually need one more vase in my house? I went through a vase phase and I think I talk about that with Christine. And so it's been a process of letting go, which is not easy, right? Like if you've ever cleaned out your closet, I bet you know you already have things in there that you haven't worn and you haven't worn in years, but you hold on to them. And we're going to talk about why it is that we hold on to these things that we don't need. And these things in our house, in our life that we don't need, they take up space and energy. And I, uh, you know, want you to learn, and I'm still learning this process to really detach and let go and only keep the things in my space that I actually need that feel good. Um, You know, there's a lot of utility, right, that we need in our living space. And there's some aesthetic appeal, of course. But how much of that do we actually need to feel, you know, how we like to feel in our homes, to feel good and to feel joy and to feel inspired. So uh, let me let you know what we, uh, what Christine and I talk about. So clearly, as I said, we talk about minimalism her approach with Afro-minimalism, and what sparked Christine to live with less, why we are attached or attracted to material objects, and we also talk about the psychology of ownership, which is fascinating, and how to let go of our attachments using Christine's four-step approach. And so much more. You are going to love this episode if... I mean, we all have living spaces, right? Or working spaces. And some of them, some of us take great pride in how we, you know, are intentional and decorate the space. And then some of us may feel like I just have too much and I don't know how to get rid of it. So it is your time to start, uh, you know, doing another round of spring cleaning this summer And really go through with intention in each space in your home. I mean, you don't have to, but I'm I'm definitely going to try to do that. So after listening to this episode, I I want you to, uh, you know, I hope, my hope is that you will definitely be more intentional about the things that come into your space and you'll start adopting a philosophy of living with less. Here's a little bit about Christine. When Christine began her journey to live with less, she had no intention of becoming the Afro-minimalist. She just wanted to tame the chaos in her closet, but after struggling with the austerity and whiteness of mainstream minimalism, Christine realized why minimalism often seems unattainable for so many. The emphasis is on all white barren aesthetics 
distracts from the practice of living with intention. And so she decided to do things her way by curating a life lived with less that was influenced by the African diaspora. Christine also has a new book, and we talk about that at the end of our chat. And so I want to give you a little bit of information about that up front, too. In the Afro Minimalist's Guide to Living with Less, Christine gets to the heart of how childhood experiences and expectations manifest in adulthood. The delicate dance between needs and wants and the complicated weight of familial and societal pressures. A far cry from both uh, the conmarie closets and conspicuous consumption, Christine's brand of living with less is more than a decluttering regimen. Inspired by her journey, Christine presents a radical revision of minimalism, one that celebrates history and heritage and permits readers to make space for what matters their way. As she says in her clear and inspiring TEDx talk, if you don't define yourself, you'll be crushed into other people's fantasy of you and eaten alive. All right, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Christine Platt here on episode 108, Living with Less on Mindful Living with Athea Davis. See you on the flip side. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Christine, to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. So awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Yes. Well, first, I, I know you're going to tell everybody later on where they can find you on all the social media handles, but guys, I have to say up front, you've got to follow Christine's IG page because she has so many amazing uh, pictures and tips all about minimalism, particularly your niche is Afro-minimalism. But before we get into that, I just want to know, Christine, can you tell my listeners, what is minimalism? And, and even before you say that, like, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I was thinking about this too, because I, I, I mean, you are listening to Mindful Living with Athea Davis, and I haven't quite yet spent time having a guest on the show talk about minimalism. And it's something that I've been growing into the past several years of my life. And I got to say, it just really makes a world of difference um, how you relate to your exterior and how that mm-hmm. has you feel interiorly. So let's dive yes. into minimalism. What <laughs> yes, it's so funny you say that. I mean, because, you know, if we were thinking of a working definition, I mean, it really is mindful living, right? It's being very intentional and authentic about making sure you only have and consume those things that you need, use, and love, right? Um, And Afro-minimalism is just my version of minimalism. It's minimalism um, that is influenced by the African diaspora. That's a big part of my life's work. I'm a historian and also a lawyer by trade. And so, you know, that is my version of minimalism. But wanting people to understand that everyone's version is going to look different, right? So I always tell people, you're more than welcome to adopt, (laughs) Mm. you know, my version of minimalism, right? But our lives are so varied and so different. You know, there's just no one way that one sort of aesthetic or approach to minimalism is going to work for everyone, you know? Exactly. I, I'm, I'm so curious, what was the spark that led you down to that path of living um, with less? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I actually started as a minimalist by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with my divorce became a minimalist by circumstance. Yeah. Um, but you know, I started because um, I just had so much stuff. And I didn't realize how much stuff I had until I had resigned um, from my role as a senior policy advisor at the Department of Energy. I wanted to pursue writing full-time and, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) excuse me, was also just kind of burnt out um, Mm. from just working nonstop. Um, And, you know, I was home for the first time all day in a very long time, probably since, gosh, I don't know. Um, and it was so interesting to me because I realized, wow, I have so much stuff in this house that I don't use. We have 
so much house and space that we don't use. And it just led me on this journey to really accepting and acknowledging that we were, um, you know, very much engaged in overconsumption, mm. conspicuous consumption, <laughs> you know, a lot of keeping up with the Joneses going on there. And um, that's really what started my journey. Um, and then when I got a divorce, I moved into um, the space that we live in now, which is 630 square feet. And yeah, it really forced me to be intentional yeah. and really think about, you know, what it is that we need, use and love in our home. Um, it forced me to really be intentional with our space, right? So I always tell people um, that are embarking on their journey, like reimagine the space because so often we conform our living spaces to what the builders intended yes. <laughs> use was for this space, right? And it's so interesting because I feel that so many people um, were forced to go through what I went through <laughs> by choice mm. with the pandemic, right? Like, yeah you know, folks were quarantined, they were realizing how to utilize their living spaces to, you know, maybe they needed to make a homeschool, maybe they needed two offices, you know, like it. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it was just really this, this journey of, of, of learning to be intentional, right. And so mm -hmm. um, I really like to encourage people and, and tell them, like, I know you think it's all about your things and getting rid of your things or, you know, creating a certain aesthetic, but it's really not. It's really about being a more mindful, intentional consumer. Mm, I love that. Thinking about being intentional about the things that we have in our spaces. I, 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 how do I say this? I love, um, I went through this period in my life where I just loved going to antique stores and I would just get stuff that and I loved it, you know, antique necklaces, antique tables, and all of a sudden I had all this stuff. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. why do I need all this stuff? <laughs> you know, and then after I had it for a while, I really had to come to terms with what was really meaningful to me and what mm -hmm. did I, what did I want to release? And yeah. I feel like for several years, and it's such a process for me, like it's not like an overnight thing, at least in my experience. I just recently moving to, uh, you know, unpacking, packing and, and, you know, releasing more stuff thinking, mm -hmm. I don't know where I had this or <clears throat> why, but it just, it felt so relieving to, yeah. to release something. Yeah. I mean, that's why I always say less is liberation. Like it's yeah. so liberating, right? Um, and everyone has their thing, you know, uh, for me, I was a bargain shopper um, and, you know, minimalism, learning to live with less, all of it, it's such a process of self-discovery, right? And so mm -hmm. as you move through, you know, each phase of your journey, you really learn more about yourself. Um, and I had to, you know, really reconcile that I was a bargain shopper who was in love with the thrill of the hunt. Mm. Um, but not necessarily <laughs> the prize, the reward, right? Which yeah. is why, you know, my closet was filled with things that had all of these like little red clearance labels on them, mm. right? Um, but they weren't things that I wore. Um, they were things that I had in the moment just really enjoyed that thrill of, you know, feeling like I'm getting a deal. And, uh, you know... <laughs> I had to come up with all sorts of uh, mantras and things to help me, right? Because of <laughs> course, once you learn about yourself and who you are, it's not that that, that part of you goes away, right? It's, it's yeah. always a constant challenge. And so, you know, like a little you, friction is there, like a little, oh friction my goodness, this new, uh, you yeah. know, of that aspect. Yes. You know, so like, as for you, you could be visiting a new city and you pass by an antique shop, you're going to get this little like, whoo antiques, yes. you know? Yes. And so for me, um, you know, I still, those little butterflies still, you know, come every now and then, especially if I'm in my favorite store and I like, oh my God, there's a clearance rack. And the mantra that I uh, made for myself was, Christine, remember, it's not a deal if you don't need it. 
And I know salespeople think I'm crazy, but I'll like, <laughs> yes. I'll stand there and I'm just like, Christine, it's not a deal if you don't need it, you know? And it, but it, it keeps me back on track and just, you know, reminds me of, you know, how much I had before um, and, and how much I'd never want to have again. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like it's, it's really a process of self-discovery. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, it is so yeah. interesting because I remember having my first house and thinking now I have to fill the, the house up, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what you do. You get a house, mm-hmm. you have these rooms and then you fill it up and then you realize why do I need all this stuff and like how heavy yeah. it feels. And when I travel, especially if it's just me and like, I, I did this once by accident with my family mm-hmm. with, tiny, with like trying to stay in a tiny house. It will never, <laughs> but I, when I do it solo, I do, ex, I do appreciate the experience because I'm so fascinated with how intentional everything is. You have everything that you need. Mm-hmm. I don't feel overwhelmed. There are like, I don't have a lot of choices, right? Like what towel right. am I going to use? Well, there's one right here. I don't have mm-hmm. like 10 or, you know, it's just very simple and yeah. it takes the, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the choice, perhaps, perhaps some of that is, is choices are heavy. Choices are yeah. heavy. Um, they can be super time consuming. Right. And, and again, when you go on this journey, of self-discovery, you learn like, what are things that are really eating up my time, my energy, right? So for example, you know, having less to clean is amazing for me. Having fewer choices in the morning just frees up my time and energy in a way that is indescribable, right? Because I remember the mornings being so frantic and hectic and what am I wearing? What am I wearing? And you know, I mean, I don't even have a lot of tops and bottoms because I realized just even that choice, like what top am I wearing with? It's too much. So I just wear a lot of dresses and jumpsuits, right? But like everyone has their thing. Um, But, you know, I, I think that there is something that is, you know, this unseen weight that comes with having too many choices to make or having too much to clean or having too much to do, right? It's heavy. There's such an important point I want to make here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about like, do you wear a uniform throughout your day? Yeah, okay. oh, I'm big on uniform so life. That's I, me. <laughs> and and I haven't always been. So part of my creativity in the past was I spent a lot of time like, which antique necklace am I going to find that will mm. go with this outfit and these shoes? Mm-hmm. And it was fun. And that was a phase and season that I was in. It was too much. It was like, I get to the point, like all my energy was on that. And I think yeah. back, like, I can't imagine doing that now. And one shift that I did do was really, um, I guess, make my closet more minimalist. I, I started mm-hmm. just really, uh, you know, getting rid of things, getting rid of shoes, trying mm-hmm. to be intentional. And that was hard. It's still hard because I still hold on to things. Not a lot. Like I'm, I'm like, okay, I need a couple of pair of professional shoes mm-hmm. and then, and then I don't need like 20 pair. And, and it's like, why am I so attached to it? But going back to the, the uniform, I just, I don't like y- your brain spends so much energy. Well, we have so much energy every day. And to think about spending that on what am I going to wear in the morning versus like, I know what I'm going to wear. I'm pretty, like, I've got my uniform set. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a total ath- athleta or not uh, ath- ath- uh, what's the word for it? Like athletic leisure wear. That's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Athletic leisure wear. I like to be able to move and groove and, and yeah. also look, have that very nice style at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I just have a few things. It's not very hard. I can just pick the top and the bottom and there's no, I mean, it takes me less than a minute. So yeah, I'd love to hear like your experience when you were doing that, like, what did that open up for you in terms of time? Because I know time is a big thing, no matter a lot of my listeners, leaders, educators, parents, we lack time. And so trying to figure out how do we get that time back? I think this is a really important point when we can make our closets, you know, um, within this minimalist framework. So we can give that time back to ourselves. I, I remember, so I had first 
heard about uniform life. Um, you know what? So what happens on your minimalist journey is you just like keep whittling down, whittling down, and you look for ways that you can just be more intentional um, in your wardrobe, in your home. And I had whittled down my closet significantly <laughs> compared to what I had before, but I still felt like it was too much. Um, and I remember reading an article, um, a, it was by a woman who was an architect and she was like one of the few women in her company. And, you know, she always noticed, you know, like the men in her company that they, you know, sort of had this natural uniform, right? It's yeah. like, you know, the Oxford shirt and the slacks mm-hmm. and right. They were just always ready to go. And she had was late to a very important board meeting one morning because she was trying to figure out what to wear. Ah, and that, that is what like made the shift for her. Um, and she was like, I mean, obviously I'm not going to be wearing Oxford shirts and khakis, yeah. but I'm going to find a uniform um, that works for me. And, right. and I just remember reading about her experience and being like, wow, you know, I do spend a lot of time in the morning trying to figure out what I am wearing. And, and for me, the mornings would always be um, super hectic because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my daughter was in school and, you know, you're trying to get them ready. You're trying to get yourself ready. You're trying, you know, um, and it's so wild how much time and mental energy that gave me back. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're less inclined to rush, but you're like always be rushing. Right. And it was usually because I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I wearing? Okay. Did you eat your breakfast? Did you, okay, let me go back and look at my closet and, you know, and it's just like, now I just, Put on one of my jumpsuits and my dresses and go. It's so wild and, and it's so liberating. That, right? Oh, there's such ease. And there's also just like a personal comfort too, right? Like I always know how I'm going to look. I always know how I'm going to feel. And um, yeah, it's, it's probably been one of the biggest shifts in, mm. in terms of like getting my time and energy back like that and cleaning. <laughs> the cleaning <laughs> you know? of things that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, my time, um, I don't remember what it used to be. I, it would probably be, I would be embarrassed to probably admit how long I used to take to get mm-hmm. ready, especially when my now 15 year old was much younger. And again, mm-hmm. it was hectic um, because of all the things, you know, like, what am I going to, mm-hmm. I didn't like, what am I going to wear? And all of this stuff. Oh, crazy. I can't believe I, I had all that pain and suffering. I know. That I know. But now I have it down to, 15 minutes. And that includes, you know, getting up and washing my face, brushing my teeth and getting Mm -hmm. dressed because it's very simple and it's all ready to go. So it's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) My daughter. Yeah. yeah, My daughter moves really slow in the morning. Um, And so, you know, now it's just like, I just wait until it's probably about 20 minutes before it's time to leave. And then I can start getting ready. Right. But it's not this I'm not up getting, having to use all this extra time focused on, you know, what am I going to wear? What am I going to, what am I like? It's just too stressful. And to start your day that way, right? Like my days just start so easy because that choice is pretty much already made for me, you know? So what I'm hearing, Christine, and I love this, the idea about minimalism is to really live with less. So you can really live more authentically. And when you're doing Mm -hmm. that, you are living more because you're not, it seems like perhaps attached or stressed by all Mm -hmm. of these things that almost don't matter. Like I want, like I look, I don't know if you have had that experience, but you look back in in the story, you tell me about uh, this woman that was getting ready for a board meeting, stressed out late to the meeting. I want, like I've been in that situation before and think this is so, so stupid. It's like, so silly. What? No one cares what you have on, right? Like yeah. where, where is your presentation? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where are the materials that we asked for? Um, but, you know, again, you know, there are just so many layers to this, right? And it, and it boils down to people really understanding why they have more than they need, yeah. right? Um, and again, that's going to look different for everyone. So, you know, I, I really tell people to first start with, you know, 
doing, doing that deep inquiry and like looking like, why do I have so much more than I need? And it's usually in like one or two particular mm-hmm. <laughs> areas. Um, and then understanding attachments, right. And understanding why is it so hard for me to let go, mm-hmm. you know, um, because those things are really going to dictate, you know, how successful you are with maintaining your life of less. And I always like to say like, it's minimalism your way, right? Mm-hmm. It's living with less your way. Like Althea, our, our minimalist lives will look very different because yeah. we're two different people, right? And so like really going through this process of self-discovery, what, what would this look like for me? What mm-hmm. would this look like for me, you know? Um, and it's, it's such a beautiful journey. I mean, and it's also a journey that never ends. <laughs> I like to tell people too, right? Like there's no destination. And so there's really no reason to rush. Like, you know, this mm-hmm. idea that you need to get through your closet in a weekend, or you need to get through, you know, all of your Christmas supplies and like, yeah. it's just, you know, take your time and, you know, some things will be much easier to let go of than others. But if you have things that you're like, wow, I don't need this. I don't use this. I actually really don't even love it. Like, why is it so hard for me to let this go? Like, what is your attachment, um, you know, to that thing? I learned a a lot about the psychology of ownership working on my book. Like I, was just fascinated. Um, and I, uh, I actually were just saying that it made me remember um, the first draft that I turned in on that section. Uh, my editor, she was like, this is all so fascinating. She was like, but it's fascinating to me because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> we're going to have to whittle this down because I just was like, I never you know, we always talk about the legality of ownership, right? Like legally knowing that something is yours, but like the psychology of ownership and like believing that something is yours. And we see it with kids all the time, right? Like Mm. I always say, that's like the first sort of um, best example that we have, right? You know, you take your kid in the store and they hold a toy. And by the time you get to the register and you're like, okay, put it back. And they're like, no, it's mine. Right. And I was just like, ah. And so, you know, so much of the psychology of ownership is rooted in touch. Mm. So, you know, I'll use your antique uh, store experience as an example, right? So you're attracted to antiques. You think they're beautiful. You go into an antique shop. You say to yourself, Althea, you do not need another thing right? We're just going to look, right? And so you look and you see a beautiful antique necklace and you pick it up. That power of touch, like that triggers partial ownership, Mm. right? It just naturally triggers that. And then let's say more people come in the store. So you are in the store by yourself, just looking at antiques. And now more people are in the store and you have this partial ownership. You're holding this necklace they're like, if I put it back, someone else might get it, right? So it's the psychology starts mm-hmm. to trigger, you want to have full ownership, right? And the difference between children and adults is that we actually have the ability to move from partial ownership to full ownership very quickly, right? This fear that if I don't get this, some, someone else might. Um, and surprisingly, so much of what I learned about the psychology of ownership um, wasn't in psychology journals. It was marketing really? materials. Oh my goodness. It's a huge part of the marketing industry, you know? And if, if you think about just some of um, the ways in which we uh, purchase certain things, especially things like cars, you know, you're, they're like, oh yeah, take it for a test drive. Oh yeah. Sit on this couch. Oh yes. You know, it's like, because they fully understand the power of the psychology of ownership. And they're like, if we could just get them to touch it, if we could just get them to try it on. I never, like, it's fascinating. Like the power of touch. Like I'm so surprised you said that. And Okay. So one of the things that I have to be really into, so when I do my shopping, I try to do as much as I can online now, because Mm -hmm. I know it just, it's for me, it's like a boundary now, because I know if I go in, I, I can, I mean, I'm pretty good about saying, no, I've learned 
And mm-hmm. yet there's, there's sometimes I'll go into target and I have a list and I yeah. get not on my list and I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, remember you have to think about all your triggers, right? Mm-hmm. So think about all of this working together, right? So for me, I'm drawn to a sale, right? Mm-hmm. I'm always, I, I get a thrill feeling like I'm getting a deal. If I get to the sale rack and I touch it, partial ownership is established. I want to exert full ownership and I want to exert full ownership before someone else comes along and gets this deal, right? Like it yeah. all just works together in concert. Um, and even with gifts too, right? Like I always tell people, cause they're always like, oh, what do I do about, I'm like, you can't, you can't accept it because the minute you accept it, you feel responsible for it, you know? Um, and yeah, the minute you bring it into your home, you feel responsible, right? And so I think like, it's so like, it was so mind blowing to me. So I think really getting people to understand, of course, what the root causes of their consumption are, understanding how the psychology of ownership works. And there's, I mean, I could nerd out on it for. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> forever, I'm, what I'm hearing like, is like, just don't touch things unless you are really intentional well, about what you want. Yeah, but then like also understanding that, you know, there are things that we are also motivated to buy. Like that's also, you know, a big part of the psychology of ownership. Motivations and attachments work mm-hmm. together in concert. And, you know, motivations are another part of psychology. We're used to, more biological motivations, right? Which is like, we need water, (laughs) we need food, right? We're used to more, um, you know, social motivations, right? Like we need friends, we need, you know, those types of relationships, but we don't think about it in terms of our things, right? Um, And uh, one of the biggest uh, motivations is self-identity. And so like you have all these things working in concert together, right? So I'm at a sales rack. Oh, the thought of getting a deal, right? I see something beautiful. Oh my goodness, this could match my Afro-minimalist aesthetic perfectly. So I'm already motivated to buy it by that self-identity motivation. Um, You know, and then I touch it. Partial ownership is established and I want to exert full ownership. And there you go. I got a new thing that I don't need. (laughs) Isn't that wild? Oh my goodness. It's so wild. I know. It's so So wild. Is this this sort of where the overconsumption comes from or is there more, is is it more complex than that? You know, how we end Um, up with all these things we don't need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. You know, I look at four uh, key areas of my book, right? Um, I, I think childhood is a big part of it. And that's actually where I start, right? I say like it all started in childhood because a lot of who we are as adults, um, you know, is framed around, you know, how we were raised, right? And so for me, this idea of, you know, bargain shopping or just shopping in general came from spending the weekends uh, with my mom at the mall. And even though like um, upon reflection, she wasn't buying a lot of things, if anything, (laughs) sometimes. Um, But in my mind, I had just associated that experience as always just being a fun, leisurely time. And it was something that I took with me uh, into adulthood, right? Um, You have to think about whether you grew up with scarcity, whether you grew up with abundance, right? Um, One of the stories that I love to share uh, to get people to understand just beyond just like how deeply rooted this is, um, is about my friend's husband um, who loves to make like s- bubbles are overflowing out of the sink when he washes dishes. Like okay. it drives her <laughs> insane. Um, and we were talking about it one day and, you know, she's like, oh my God, he's in there washing dishes again. And, you know, I'm joking <laughs> like, oh my goodness, that's so great. He's washing dishes, yes. you know? And she's like, no, like it really annoys me. And it took me, I was like, wow, she's really upset about this. And I said, have you ever asked him why he uses so many bubbles, right? Like, <laughs> why does he use so much dish soap? Um, and, and it's also funny too, because they're very wealthy and this is like not a issue, <laughs> right? Yeah. Bubbles are, you know, it's not like, um, you know, they're in a situation where they have to skimp on dish soap, right? right. And so I was just like, 
have you ever asked him? Because there's there has to be a reason why. Um, and I remember Althea, she told me a few days later, she said, you know, I asked him. And when he was growing up, he grew up in the in the deep south, was raised by his grandmother, very, very poor. And uh, they had to buy just, you know, dollar store dish soap. And even then uh, he could only use like a drop or two, like mm. skimped on everything. And, uh, you know, whenever he had to wash the dishes, there were never any bubbles. And so he said, now that I'm older, I just make as many bubbles as I want. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yes. And so, oh you know, it, so much of it is, you know, unfulfilled childhood wants, you know, and oftentimes we do that through our own children. Um, oh my God, my poor daughter, when she was younger, she had everything that I could have possibly wanted and more as a child. Um, you know, you, you look back on all these instances and you see all of these, you, you can see it so, so clearly. Um, I remember when the Princess Tiana doll came out. Oh my goodness. All of the black moms, we were in the Disney store snatching up princess tiana stuff right and the, yeah you know the kids are like okay this is cool but for them it's like oh it's a new disney princess right <laughs> but we're like it's a black disney yes. princess right and but we just never thought that we would ever see a black disney princess in our right. lifetime right and so like you end up fulfilling so many of your unfulfilled childhood wants mm. um you know, as an adult, right? Um, I've spoken to so many people, they, you know, share experiences about, you know, maybe it was the first day of school, and they were ridiculed because they had on a pair of non name brand shoes. And so mm -hmm. now it's very important for them to have name brand stuff, right? Um, I hear from people who grew up with abundance, and it was so overwhelming that now it is the last thing that they want, right? People who grow up with food scarcity, who have to have full cupboards, even though they know much of the food is gonna expire before mm. they even get a chance to eat it, but it gives them a sense of comfort, right? Like our motivations yeah. are rooted in comfort, right? And, and fulfilling some sort of um, psychological need, whether it's, um, you know, again, to bring you comfort, home is home is a motivation, self-identity is a motivation, um, the need to feel certain about your environment, mm -hmm. like that's a motivation, like there's all these things that are working in concert. Um, and so you think about like your childhood, you think about societal pressures, um, depending on, you know, your cultural background, you may mm -hmm. have cultural expectations that are put on you, right? Yeah. Um, conspicuous consumption is a really big thing, right? Social media has made that a thing. And it, mm -hmm. it, it has even trickled over into minimalism. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, so many people, you know, oh, that doesn't look minimalist. Or I remember someone DMing, DMing me one time out the end saying, you know, I see that you, you know, you, you're, you're a minimalist, but I bet I have less stuff than you. Like how many things do you have? And I was like, I don't know. Wow. Don't know. Yeah. Right. So like, wow. That like things are working mentality. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a big thing. Right. And so you just have to think about all of these things working together in concert. And that's how it leads to our overconsumption. And that's wow. why you have to go on this process of self-discovery for yourself and like really figure out what aspects of my childhood have I brought into my adulthood that mm. are contributing to my overconsumption, right? What aspects of my life are contributing to conspicuous consumption? I mean, a lot of the stuff that I had in my closet was from when I worked in big law and worked in government and feel, you know, I had this feeling that I needed to look the part, right? So mm. I have to have this type of suit. I have to have this type of purse. I have to have this type of shoe, right? So you have yeah. to think about like what sort of um, societal pressures and standards are, are contributing, right? Um, and again, conspicuous consumption. What am I going to think? Like if someone sees me wearing, I mean, I just wore that dress last week. What are they going to think mm. if they see me wearing that dress again? Like so much of it, it's wild. Gosh, like it's so it, fascinating. There's so many layers here. I know, here. there's and so many layers. Like you were, okay, so much to unpack. One thing that you made me think <laughs> of about this identity and like going back to the closet 
is like, I went through something similar where I had the suits and the shoes and the purse that Mm -hmm. had to like, you look that role. That's what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to look like. Mm -hmm. And then transitioning to a new identity, new role in my life. I released much of that stuff, but then there were some things that I remember still hanging on to, Mm -hmm. but I don't ever wear it. (laughs) And why am I hanging on to this? (laughs) But it was a process. It was like, okay, what's the one thing I need if I do need, you know, the suit or a blazer? I don't need like multiple versions of this. And so it did. It took some years to do that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it wasn't like just a couple of weeks. Doesn't happen overnight. No, (laughs) I mean, and it's so funny. There's so many things that I remember being like, oh my gosh, yes, I have to keep this. And six months later, being just being able to let it go, right? Which is why I tell people not to rush, right? Like you never want to rush to try and make an intentional choice and then look back and like, man, what if I wouldn't have, like, let it sit there in in your closet unworn for another six months. (laughs) And you can say, okay, and now I understand I'm not, I'm never going to use this, you know, I'm never going to wear this, you know, and that's when I tell people it's time to pay it forward, right? Like oftentimes when we have attachments to things and you know, you have to think about it too. Like, you know, we have, there's actual value and then there's perceived value. Yes, that's (laughs) true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, depending on how much money they spend on something, how much, you know, money they think something is worth or or perceive it to be worth, um, you know, those things contribute to it being hard to let go. Um, And I have found, you know, paying it forward, Um, by either donating to a charitable organization, Mm -hmm. um, finding a buy nothing group in your community. Like there's all these ways that sort of help break that attachment Mm -hmm. when you know that it's going either to a mission that you support or a member of your community who says, oh my gosh, I've been needing something like that, but I just haven't been able to afford it. This is amazing. Thank you. You know, Um, but yeah, it takes time, right? It takes time time. So I'm always like, this is not a weekend warrior mission. I know you want it to be, but you're also looking at what, 20, 30, 40 years of stuff Very true. you've accumulated, you know? Very true. And, and I'm, Christine, like, how do you, how do we let those things go? I know you have a process and approach. So if someone I do. is looking at, you know, it's summer, it's a new season coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's time to reorganize things around the living space, around the closets, etc. Mm-hmm. What can we do to go through the process of knowing whether we should keep it or let go of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and, and my process is by far not the only process. There are many, um, you know, minimalist practitioners. And so I like to refer to the the old black adage, you know, which is take a little, keep a little, right? So you Mm -hmm. take a little of my advice, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you keep some of it, maybe you don't, right? But for me, what I found was uh, what would have helped me was to have like a more holistic approach to letting go. Um, And so I have a four-step process, which is step one is acknowledging that you have more than you need, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like, believe it or not, you know, we are masters at um, <laughs> justifying all the things, right? Yeah. And so really acknowledging like, okay, I have more than I need. And then the biggest part for me was step two, which is forgiving myself, mm. right? Um, because when you really go through that acknowledgement process, there's a wave of emotions that may wash over you, right? From you thinking about man, how else could I have spent this money, right? Or will, yeah. you know, common refrain is, oh my God, look at how much money I wasted, yes. right? You know, like there's all these things that like bring on these feelings of guilt and shame and anger and discomfort. Um, you know, there were times that I cried and I realized I was stuck in that space of just being so upset with myself for being mm-hmm. so wasteful um, that until I forgave myself, I really couldn't move on to step three, which is, you know, letting go. Um, and for me, the letting go process is, is rooted in uh, those three words. I'm, I'm sure you heard me say throughout our conversation, which is need, use, and love, not or love, and love, right? right. And so I ask myself, do I need this? 
Do I use this? And do I love this? Oftentimes we look at those things individually, right? You know, and you can't look at, I mean, you love everything, right? Like that's why you (laughs) brought it into your house in the, in the first place. Um, And so, you know, I recommend just having like two piles, right? And it's a need use love pile. And then there's a pay it forward pile. Um, And if you find yourself kind of like vacillating on something for an extent, like, okay, I'm spending too much time on this item, just set it aside and keep moving on, right? It goes back to what we were saying, like about, you know, something in your closet or, you know, an antique piece that you're like, oh, I just can't seem to part with it. If you are struggling like that, give yourself some time to work through what the attachment is Mm. to that, right? And then step four is paying it forward, right? And that's really being intentional um, with your donations to make sure that they don't end up in landfills or they don't end up overburdening an organization that's already overburdened, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is not something that they need, (laughs) right? Or that their clients or the people that they service um, will, will purchase. Um, I don't know if you've heard about wish cycling, um, but (laughs) so wish cycling, um, this is what happens often when we give our donations to places like Goodwill and the Salvation Army, and we're just kind of wishing and hoping and praying that someone comes along and will buy it, right? And this is how we like justify, (laughs) I'm going to give it all to Goodwill, right? Um, And recently, especially because of the pandemic, I mean, these organizations are flooded, literally overflowing Mm. with donations and things that they're never going to be able to sell or, you know, broken things, right? And you're, Mm -hmm. you donated it wishing and hoping that someone is going to come along and need a toaster so bad that they are going to find whatever this missing heating element, like it's just not going to happen, you know? And so (laughs) it's like (laughs) really being intentional with how you pay it forward. And that means taking some extra steps, right? Like identifying the mission, right? Um, I always talk about this black Casper suit that I had because it was like one of my favorite power suits Mm -hmm. and I held onto it for way too long, right? I can't even remember the last time I had to wear a power suit, but I just, I justified all the reasons why I might need this suit, you know, in the future. Um, And it was so hard to let go. And I remember asking myself, like, how long are you going to hold on to the suit? How long are you going to hold on to things just because you don't want to give it away for free? Like, it's ridiculous. And so that's what led me to like, let me be intentional, right? And so I looked for organizations in my area that, you know, serviced um, women in need of business attire, right? Um, I looked to see what sizes they were most in need of. I looked to see what the requirements were, right? Um, I ended up going with Dress for Success and our Dress for Success in the area, like they needed things to be like washed and dry cleaned. I think, I think they actually wanted it dry. I mean, they were, they would go like, off the rack onto the body of a woman who's getting ready, you know, to go to her first interview and like being intentional about that. Right. Like think of thinking about if I had just balled that black Casper suit up in a bag and donated it, how much extra work I was creating for that organization. Right. And maybe how that bag would probably go in a corner somewhere because they just don't have time to get it dry cleaned right now or what, you know what I mean? Like you have to just be like super, super intentional. Such a good Um, suggestion because I've definitely been there too with, you know, just putting things in a bag. I just want to get rid of this, but I love the idea of being intentional about the things that you do want to pay it forward because I agree. I think, you know, I mean, there were times where I needed someone to pay it forward to me and I needed items that I couldn't pay full price for. And I was so appreciative of finding those mm-hmm. in a, you know, thrift store, antique store, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, it was really nice to be able to find those items. So but that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's not serving anyone just sitting in your closet or sitting in your, yeah. right? Like you're not, <laughs> it's not serving you or someone who could really yeah. use it. Um, <laughs> and you know, I did a post about this the other day and I asked folks to share suggestions and it was like, I have these posts. You probably shouldn't have favorite posts. I don't know, but I have (laughs) posted. (laughs) They're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Um, Because some of the things that people said are things that we just like 
never think about, right? Like um, someone was saying, you know, if you're donating puzzles to make sure all the puzzle pieces are there, maybe even like putting them in, in a baggie, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I've worked at community centers and, you know, imagine being that kid who gets to the end of the puzzle and the last two pieces are missing, mm-hmm. right? Like these are things you just never think about, right? Right. Um, you know, when you're donating books, um, you know, if they're going to your library, categorizing them, you know, like fiction and nonfiction, Mm-hmm. kids books right just again like just trying to be as mindful and intentional as possible so that you know what you are donating will find its way as quickly as possible into the hands of someone who really who really needs it you know I love that those suggestions and you're right there are things I haven't thought about um, particularly with the puzzle pieces or the books yeah, so bed linens. Yeah, <laughs> it was so mind blowing to me, you know, bed linens, um, you know, which I, I think um, a lot of our linens, towels, those sorts of things, you know, the pandemic. And this, again, goes back to being intentional and doing your due diligence, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, Goodwill takes everything. Actually, Goodwill does not take everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like going to see and they're like, ah, oh, we can't really, you know, take that right now. So here, this was like a huge tip for me. I did not know this. Um, but a lot of animal shelters will gladly take all of your old towels and washcloths and things like oh, that. Yeah. Um, there is also like um, folks that'll take like old mascara wands for like, I mean, like, And that's the thing, like once you do your due diligence, you realize, oh, there is an organization out there Mm -hmm. in immediate need of this um, rather than it. I don't know if you've ever seen the back of a, of a Goodwill. If you've. No, but I've been uh, in, I've been in, in one, but just never like the the donation uh, center, right? If you ever get a chance, (laughs) oh, it is it is heartbreaking. If you ever look in the back of a donation center and you see just how unintentional people have been Mm. and how much work it's creating for folks, right? Um, You know, uh, labeling, all these sorts of things. It just, it's just an extra step um, to make sure that you're, that you're truly paying it forward, you know, with your, yeah, with your with your donations. Yeah, definitely good suggestions there because I know we have. I'm here in Houston, so many um, goodwill donation centers. But if that's something that people are doing and they're giving their things away, to be more intentional about how they're yeah. bagging them up. Yeah, right? and not just if you throwing ever, them if together. You ever get a chance? Yeah, the next time you go by Goodwill, Salvation Army, or just any sort of you know, I call them the usual suspects where we donate mm-hmm. our things. Um, yeah, just ask them, say, can I just take a peek back there? Can I just see? And it will, it will forever change how you manage your donations. It is mind blowing. Now I've got to do that. Okay. Well, (laughs) thank you for sharing your four-step approach. I I definitely feel, um, inspired again. I just did a big sort of cleanse when we moved a couple of months ago, but now I, Mm -hmm. I know I still have some things likely in my closet that, that I'm like, a couple of those business suits, like why, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'll need this for blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> you know what, Althea, <laughs> I love that you, I love that you use the word cleanse, mm-hmm. right? Because I encourage people not to use words like purge, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that has just like, it already has a negative connotation yeah. to it. Right. Um, and it just, goes back to those feelings that we get right like yes you just have to be so mindful of language um but yeah it's a fascinating it's a fascinating process and I think it's something um you know it's a lifestyle that I encourage everyone um to pursue and it's so funny because I know people who I guess some folks would consider to be maximalist right um but they are so intentional right and so again minimalism there, there's this aesthetic that has come about mm-hmm. <laughs> with mainstream minimalism yeah. that leads people to believe that, oh, if, you know, if all your walls aren't white and you don't have, I, I call it one fork, one knife, one spoon, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if, if you're not living like that, then you must not be a minimalist. Um, and, you know, I hope 
in the future, we can sort of like redefine what it is to be a minimalist. Maybe it's an intentionalist. I don't know. Right. But like what you're really doing is just being a more mindful, intentional consumer. And that's something we all can do. Yeah. And just, it sounds like too, that we're just, you know, re-looking at sort of the the images or the life we've been fed that you need all these things to be successful or happy Mm -hmm. or safe or comfortable Mm -hmm. and knowing that actually, no, we don't. Those things actually provide more stress and more overwhelm. You said something um, in your TEDx talk and you said something, um, where's the quote? I have it here. <clears throat> if you don't define yourself, you'll be crushed into other people's fantasy of oh yeah, you and one of my life. <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes by Audre Lorde. Um, yes, if you don't define yourself for yourself, you'll be crushed into other people's fantasies of you. So I'm I'm alive. I'm so curious, Christine. How in this journey you've taken to live um, life with less? How how do mm-hmm. you define yourself now? You know, I mean, aside from the Afro minimalist, yeah. <laughs> which is also so funny to me because, you know, I, I sort of, you know, established that name and online persona at the beginning of my journey. Um, and I probably would have chosen something different. I mean, Afro intentionalist doesn't have the same ring. So I guess it all mm-hmm. works out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just consider myself, um, you know, a more, a more mindful and intentional consumer. Um, you know, I have a personal mantra. Um, I told you this is like a defining part of my <laughs> living with less journey. Um, but I just always remind myself, you know, I am not grown. Mm. I am growing. Mm, and may I, I yeah. And may I always be growing and never fully grown, right? Because again, it goes back to this idea that like, you should know better, or you should do better, or you should like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm still growing, I'm learning, right? And, you know, what my um, minimalist journey looks like today may look totally different in 10 years, right? Um, and so just really wanting people to embrace a lifestyle of, of less and to be more mindful consumers in their, you know, in their own way, it's going to look very different for everyone. Um, but I, I think once people have that liberty and freedom to establish it for themselves and define mm-hmm. it for themselves, um, that you find so many people more willing to embrace this lifestyle. And I mean, you know, I, I feel like we have an individual and collective responsibility, right, for our yeah. planet. Um, and, you know, you have to think about um, you know, this is benefiting so much more than just you, right? Right. Like you, when you think about the life cycle of things, right? Like t-shirts are around for a really long time, Althea, you know, (laughs) jeans are around for a really long time. Um, and I, I think I included some stats in the book, but, um, you know, just thinking about the obscene, I mean, it's something like 50, 50,000 gallons of water it takes to make a pair of jeans wow. you know um thinking about the the garment workers right like understanding that the the cost of that thing goes so far beyond what you paid mm-hmm. for it in the moment right <laughs> so you have to think about leading up to that moment and then the cost after it's yours right right the cost uh, really to to our environment when we are wasteful and over over consumers you know yes I think I think gosh so much power in what you said I think it really has us think long term you know Mm -hmm. when I'm purchasing an item I may have that thrill of the moment and I love it I love the way it looks and feels and all the things and it, it really aligns with my identity and long-term, you know, what is the impact of me purchasing this yeah. item um, for a gift or for my house or for, to put clothing mm-hmm. on my body, whatever, you know, it is that I think I need and, and yeah. impact. What's that impact? Yeah. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like, it doesn't mean that you have to stop buying things or stop buying gifts. Cause yeah. that's a, you'd be so surprised. It's like a big thing for people are like, well, how am I going to gift? I'm like, there are so many ways that you can gift 
things, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of my favorite, um, I guess, sort of suggestions for people is think about gifts that disappear. Mm. Soap, cookies, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, so think about gifts that disappear. And then also think about gifts that can be meaningful um, beyond your own life, right? One of the best gifts that I ever received was uh, one of my colleagues had gifted me a, um, a calf from Heifer International, and it went to um, a community in Africa. Um, and I got to know how many, you know, families it would help. And, you know, it was, it was just, it was so fascinating. Right. It was like one of the best gifts that I ever received, right? And so, you know, maybe you can donate um, a farm animal to a community in need. Maybe you can adopt a school in someone's name, right? Like there's so many different ways that you can still gift things yeah. that are not adding to someone else's um, excess, right? And so again, smaller things, gifts that disappear, soap, incense, I mean, cookies are, like I said, cookies are always a favorite, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, if there's a family and they've, maybe they have multiple children, they don't need more baby clothes. They're already recycling baby clothes, right? Yeah. You know, maybe you gift them a week full of meals. Oh my gosh. I would have loved that so much more mm. than another onesie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, it goes back to just, you know, being intentional and, and, and thinking about, the thing that either you are accepting and welcoming into your life um, or what you are, you know, about to add to someone else's life, right? How intentional. Yeah. Mm, Such great suggestions. Thank you, Christine. (laughs) We're about to, I know we're running um, at the end of our time and I want to do a quick little rapid fire. Sure. And then I want you to uh, let everybody know where to, um, you know, mention your book, where to get it, uh, where to follow mm-hmm. you on social media, all the things. But first, grab your favorite cup of Cafe Mojo, even if it's just imaginary. We're having, a, I have my my tea right here. You can have your imaginary tea, coffee, water, whatever it is that you love to drink. And we're just going to talk about big life stuff, whatever word or phrase comes to your mind. No pressure. Just say what comes to your mind. And that's all a right. rapid fire. All right. Okay. So- Here we go. First question of rapid fire is what do you believe? Truth. What are you grateful for? Life. What sustains you? Joy. And you are on Mindful Living with Athea Davis. So I love to ask all my guests on the show, Christine, what does mindful living mean to you? (sighs) being my most authentic and intentional self. Mm, love that. Okay. Tell us about your book, The Afro Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. Where can people buy it? Start living with less in their authentic lives and follow you on social. Yes. Yeah, so The Afro Minimalist Guide to Living with Less um, is out wherever books are sold. Um, it's also on audiobook, which I read myself, which was a lot of fun, Althea. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can follow me on social. Um, I am most active on Instagram because, again, intention. Um, and so I try to be very intentional with the time that I spend on social. And my Instagram account is at Afro Minimalist. Um, and that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been such a fun time talking to you. Thank you. This was so fun. I really appreciate it. Hey there, and welcome back to the flip side of my chat with Christine Platt here on episode 108, Living with Less on Mindful Living with Athea Davis. Make sure to go purchase Christine's new book, The Afro Minimalist's Guide to Living with Less, follow her on Instagram. You will not regret it. It will be uh, so much inspiration uh, for living with less in your social media feed. And if you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you screenshot this episode, share it on your favorite social media platform and tag me at Athea Davis and tag Christine at the Afro Minimalist. I will put links to the social media handles in the show notes. 
And if you are a new listener or long-term listener, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you have not subscribed, please subscribe. I would so appreciate that and become a long-term listener and leave a rate and review. It means so much. Just, you know, the ratings take like no time, just a few seconds on iTunes. If you don't know how, it's not super intuitive, but if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the, um, the archives, so you go to the podcast, you scroll all the way down to like the first episode and you'll see where you can leave a rating and then take the extra step to leave a review. It literally takes one to two minutes. You do not have to leave a huge paragraph, just a quick few thoughts of what you enjoy about the show really makes a difference for me and others that are looking to, um, you know, listen to a new podcast. And those reviews make a difference. They make a difference for me when I'm researching a new podcast to listen to. I like to see what other people are saying about it. So I really, really would appreciate it. And uh, um, are you following me on social media? And if not, make sure you connect with me, Adathea Davis. That's A-T-H-E-A-D-A-V-I-S, Adathea Davis. I will link those or that in the show notes as well. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, all the places. Would love to connect with you there. And what else? I hope this has inspired you to live with less it definitely helps you as I'm learning, I'm still learning. Like when I release things that I've had for years and I don't know why, I feel lighter. I feel more clear. There's energy that has has left the building and there's space. And maybe there's something new that needs to come into that space and maybe not. One of the things that I really love to do is for everything that I buy, well, particularly, actually, I think I do this with everything. Everything that I buy, I make sure to uh, to let go of something that I don't need anymore. That's with clothes and the objects in the house. If I buy something new with intention, I look around and say, you know what? What do I not need anymore? So I'm not adding just more stuff and have an excess of stuff. Okay. I hope you're doing well out there. Get into, uh, get your favorite tunes on, get into another round. I have to do this really soon with my garage. (laughs) Get into another round of spring cleaning and enjoy living with less. Enjoy the shift in your energy from the inside out. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Living Podcast with me, your host, Athea Davis. Think of me as your extra sparkly, good vibes, and no-nonsense guide, reminding you to take intentional action and choose to be the person today you want to become tomorrow. The world needs your sparkle, your joy, your gifts in action. Speaking of, I have a free gift for all my podcast listeners. Go now and subscribe to my email list and get your free health and wellness guide, Awesome Sauce Insights at soulsenseyoga.com. And take a moment to rate and review my podcast on iTunes or wherever you may find yourself listening to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. I truly appreciate your time and feedback so I can continue to deliver valuable content to each of you. Until next time, have an awesome sauce day, friends.